0: Hey friends, we hope this message from C3 Fort Worth helps you see Jesus like never before. And if you're in or around Fort Worth, we'd love to meet you on a Sunday or at one
1: of our weekly dinner parties. Morning, everyone. My name is Scott. How are you guys doing? Good. Awesome. No, I'm not preaching today. Um, uh, But I get to serve here at C3 on the production team. If any of you guys want to be part of the production team, just let me know. Just let me know. Um, But I get to read our verse today from Isaiah 2, verses 1 through 5. And this is in the NRSV. The word that Isaiah, son of Amos, saw concerning Judah and Jerusalem In days to come, the mountain of the Lord's house shall be established as the highest of the mountains. And shall be raised above the hills. All the nations shall stream to it. Many peoples shall come and say, come, let us go up to the mountain of the Lord, to the house of the God of Jacob, that he may teach us his ways, and that we may walk in his paths. For out of Zion shall go forth instruction, and the word of the Lord from Jerusalem, He shall judge between the nations and shall arbitrate for many peoples. They shall beat their swords into plowshares and their spears into pruning hooks. Nation shall not lift up sword against nation, neither shall they learn war anymore. O house of Jacob, come, let us walk in the light of the Lord.
0: So good. Let's pray, Lord. I thank you for today. Let us receive your word humbly, but with expectation. God, I pray every word that comes from my mouth is discerned. pray, Holy Spirit, you would take it where it needs to go, whether that's out the door and never to be heard again, or straight into the hearts of men and women in this room. But I thank you for this day. Let us rejoice in it, in Jesus' name. Amen. This summer, uh, we got to go uh, to Florida because half of my family thinks that that's a good place to go. And on the way there, it was it was a great time. On the way there, we stopped at a, the USS Alabama. Has anyone ever anyone ever done this? We stopped at the USS Alabama, and we've got a we've got a picture of it. Grayson, who's in the room, is uh, the star of the show this morning. Uh, this is the this is actually the USS Alabama in 1939 1940. Actually, it was commissioned a couple years later. 1939 is when World War II started, but it was commissioned uh, just early 1940. Served a couple years in World War and then was sent to another region. Uh, only ever had one soldier die. They called it, um, uh, th- it was kind of had a nickname for it. Uh, but they were served primarily as over uh, protective fire. So they would shoot over the top of everything that was going on. And, um, and well, I'll get into that. Uh, this is my son sitting on one of these guns that you would see here. Uh, this is my son sitting on it. It's now docked in uh, at the border kind of of Alabama and Florida. And, um, and it's, a, it's a pretty amazing sight to see. We've got some incredible pictures. And, um, it, and, and it's uh, 2,500 crewmen would stay on that ship. 2,500. It's 45,000 tons. Had nine battle stars. Served for several years. Uh, But after wartime, they usually retire them, and they are never seen again. This one got docked, and we spent a lot of time climbing up and down narrow stairwells, um, and uh, our sons loved every minute of it. Not once did they get tired of walking around this big hunk of metal. It was a really amazing experience to see and to watch and to look at and to, to think about what happened in that day and what happened on that ship and to see where they ate and where they slept. We have pictures of that. Uh, our boys used those bunk beds and cots as a playground. Uh, I don't know that that's allowed, but, um, but it was. And it was a pretty, pretty incredible thing to think of what those soldiers did. That's just one of many ships that were commissioned at that time. To think of what that ship had to go through through what those crewmen had to go through and to see what was done um, in that ship. They had different commemorations throughout the ship. But I want to read from you to you, and you can get rid of this picture. I want to read to you the other side of what my son's kind of enjoying in that moment, sitting behind this massive weapon. And I want to read to you a story out of um, a, a, a kind of a recollection of World War II. It's out of a book called The Splendid and the Vile, one of my favorite books. It chronicles a lot of Churchill, but but more than that, it chronicles that history of time and that period of time, and it says this, and the chapter heading is simply this, Bleak Expectations. Bleak Expectations. No one had any doubt that the bombers would come. The first of these occurred on the night of January 19, 1915, and was followed by more than 50 others, during which giant I don't know this word, Dirigibles drifting quietly over the English landscape, dropped 162 tons of bombs that killed 557 people. Since then, the bombs had grown bigger and deadlier and more cunning, with time delays and modifications that made them shriek as they descended. One immense German bomb, a 13-foot, 14,000-pound named Satan, could destroy an entire city block. The aircraft that carried these bombs had grown larger as well and faster and flew higher and were thus better able to evade home front defenses. On November 10, 1932, Stanley Baldwin, then Deputy Prime Minister, gave the House of Commons a forecast of what was to come. I think it is well for the man in the street to realize that there is no power on earth that can protect him from being bombed. Whatever people may tell him, the bomber will always get through. The only effective defense lay in, in offense, he said which means that you have to kill more women and children more quickly than the enemy if you want to save yourselves. It was widely believed that London would be reduced to rubble within minutes of war being declared, wrote one junior official. The House office estimated that if standard barrier protocols were followed, casket makers would need 20 million square feet of coffin wood. When Britain declared war against Germany on September 3, 1939, in response to Hitler's invasion of Poland, the government prepared in earnest for the bombing, and invasion that was sure to follow. Church belfries went silent through Britain. Their bells were now, the bells of the churches were now designated alarms to be rung only when Cromwell, which is a code word, was invoked and the invaders were on their way. If you heard the bells, it meant that parachute troops had already been seen. Towns and villages took down street signs and limited the dark The sale of maps to people holding police-issued permits. Farmers left old cars and trucks in their fields as obstacles against gliders laden with soldiers. The government issued 35 million gas masks to civilians who carried them to work and church and kept them at their bedsides. London's mailboxes received a special coating of yellow paint that changed color in the presence of poisonous gas. Strict blackout rules so darkened the streets of the city that it became nearly impossible to recognize a visitor at a train station after dark. On moonless nights, pedestrians stepped in front of cars and buses and walked into light stanchions and fell off curbs and tripped over sandbags. The atmosphere is something more than anxiety, wrote Harold Nicholson, soon to become Parliamentary Secretary of the Ministry of Information, in his diary on May 7, 1940. It is one of actual fear. He and his wife agreed to commit suicide rather than be captured by German invaders, There must be something quick and painless and portable, she wrote to him on May 28th. Oh, my dear, my dearest, that we should come to this. In 2022, just looked this up last night, countries currently at war. In the category of 10,000 casualties in 2022, just up until September Myanmar, which is the longest civil war in the world, 13,000 people have died. Obviously, you know of the Russia-Ukraine war that started in February. Estimates range. There is no real good number for Russia. We aren't getting the numbers there, but there's estimates of anywhere between twenty and 50,000 killed. And many more injured. Ukraine, 13,000 military and 5,700 civilians have died since February. And just the category of 1,000 to 10,000 casualties in 2022, Afghanistan, Burkina Faso, Colombia, DR Congo, Ethiopia, Iraq, Mali, Mexico, Nigeria, Somalia, South Sudan, Sudan, Syria, Yemen, all of those have seen at least 1,000, up to 10,000 people been killed in 2022. Whether it be civil war, drug war, terrorist, uh, which is what most of these are drug war, civil war, or terrorist insurgencies, ethnic violence. Why do I bring this up? Well, because Isaiah did. Why do I bring it up now? Because Advent did. See, all of these things should create in us a longing for something more. That is not to say, speak of any other problems or any other issues. This is not even a referendum on whether or not you think war is justified or not justified. But what I can tell you is this, that every 26-something-year-old, which was the average age of every fighter that went to war in World War II, 26 years old, the average age. Let me just tell you something. None of them thought this is necessarily good. It might be necessary. It might be something that we rise up in our hearts and say, we will not let this happen. Right now, there are millions of refugees just in the country of Poland, 60 million people in Poland, at least 4 million refugees from Ukraine now. That's almost 10% more added to the population. And we can, this is not to argue or debate whether or not war is justified or even needed. It is to simply say, while we might call people heroes who fly across the ocean or march across parched earth, we would not say that we wish them go. We would not at any moment wish them to be gone more than home. We would much rather them not be needed than for it to be necessary. See, this should all, for all of us, every single one of us, create a desire and a want for something else. For as long as man has decided to rule, they have ruled poorly. For you and I, we have to, and we, it, coming off of last week Christ the King Sunday, which I didn't even realize the, the tie-in that would happen, but when we, we said this last week, when we cannot choose a king, we have chosen a war. At some point, the lines we draw will not work anymore because the kings decide they don't like each other or this was wrong or this shouldn't have happened. So when we cannot choose a king to rule it all, we have chosen a war between where we have divided things. You see, we sing a song like joy to the world. Do we mean it? Do we mean it to all the world? Do we mean it to the terrorist insurgent? Do we mean it to the person who is ethnically cleansing their country in their view? Do we mean it to those who think that that the evil they are doing, according to us, is the right in their minds? Do we mean it to everyone who is right now dealing with the effects of war? Do we mean it to the children and to the mothers and to the families who are losing loved ones? Do we mean it to all people? Because what Isaiah seems to throw right back in our face is the idea that the king who comes is putting an end to war all of it. It is what creation longs for, it is creation waits for, it is what creation is groaning for is that we would see a king who would judge rightly. That is why justice matters in the Bible because it is justice where every person knows they are known. And this is where Isaiah's prophecy steps into the scene today. I know. Welcome to Advent. Up here talking about war. But the bleak expectation for many of us, even those of us not affected by any of what I just mentioned. We're affected in our pocketbook, we're affected in inflation, we're affected in gas prices, we're affected in all kinds of those types of ways, but we are not affected in the same way that many people around the world are being affected by this very thing. We aren't dealing with it at the level that many are dealing with it. And we can go about our days choosing cheaper gas, but many are having to choose home or not. Many are having to choose live or not, and some are not even being given the choice. So Isaiah, some would call it the fifth gospel. The book of Isaiah serves as sort of a a Bible in miniature. Its 66 chapters have been compared with the 66 books of the Bible. It contains every major theological theme of scripture and every genre of biblical literature, poetry, narrative, apocalyptic writing, and more. Isaiah's words are quoted more times in the New Testament than any other Old Testament book. Because of the number of Messianic references found in the book, Isaiah has been referred to as The fifth gospel. If we didn't have Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, we would know a lot about Jesus just from the breadth of detail given in the book of Isaiah. From his birth to his death and all in between. He tells us of a Jesus, of a time to come. He tells us of what would happen when this king arrives, when Jesus shows up on the scene. So let me go back into what Scott just read. Isaiah 2, verse 2 said, in days to come. This is the posture of Advent. In days to come. That is the anticipatory posture that you and I hold as we enter into a season of Advent. In fact, Advent was not always connected directly to Christmas Day. It was always meant to connect to a coming Savior. So even in the days of of waiting on Jesus, they were not waiting on the child to open gifts. They were waiting on the Savior who would come to rule rightly. So even as we enter into Advent, what we're entering into is a period and a time where we are waiting on a coming Savior who would put to death all death. Who would end violence brother against brother. Who would end all the hate and the anger and the vitriol that we spew on those around us. In days to come, the mountain of the Lord's house where judgment, where government rests where decisions, where kingship is known. The mountain of the Lord's house shall be established as the highest of the mountains and shall be raised above the hills. All the nations shall stream to it because they know that is a place where justice happens. The people of Israel would have heard phrases like this. It would have echoed in their heads. In days to come, that would have sat in their head for 400 years at least. From the time before Jesus showed up, there had not been a prophet for many centuries, and they they had no one speaking from God, and yet they knew the words of the prophets, and this one would sit very strongly at the top, Isaiah's words. And these four words, I would imagine, would sit in the hearts and minds of people. Now, other translations, some of you says in latter days, and some of you say the last days. And there's a lot of discussion and debate around these things. And the beauty of the Bible is both and is a category that exists. Both in the latter days and the last days, we can expect at least some version of what we're reading. Jen Wilkin writes this For centuries in the travail of childbirth, Hebrew mothers who bore sons would have wondered, Is this the one? Sarah, Rebecca, Leah, Rachel, mothers in Egypt, mothers in the wilderness, mothers in Canaan, mothers in exile, mothers in the 400 years of silence, mothers under the fist of Roman rule. Hebrew mothers whispering, Is this the one? Hebrew fathers praying, send us the consolation of Israel. This is the hope. This is the hope of the mountain of the Lord. This is the hope of Jesus who would rise above all kings to rule better and more righteous than all kings. One writer says this, Isaiah means that the worship of the true God should be established in the ruins of idolatry. That true religion should swallow up all false religions. They would stream to the mountain of the Lord because in it they find and finally see all that they've ever been pining and wanting for. This king who would, the government would rest upon his shoulders. This king. And then in verse 4, something that is said pretty strongly and And it's something that I, I, listen, this is why I love the lectionary. If you don't know, we go through the lectionary, and this is one of those times, Advent season especially, where we're reading through the scriptures that the lectionary references. And this is what it says in verse 4 of Isaiah chapter 2, which is Isaiah is full of judgment. Isaiah is full of uh, captivity. Isaiah is speaking for the first 39 chapters to, to a group of people that hadn't done it all very well. And yet right here at the beginning, he gives this kind of hopeful picture, knowing that it's not going to happen tomorrow. But he says this about the one who would show up, the mountain that would rise up. He says this, he shall judge between the nations and shall arbitrate for many peoples. They shall beat their swords into plowshares and their spears into pruning hooks. See the differences here? One destroys the earth, one cultivates it. Nations shall not lift up sword against nation. Neither, oh I love this, neither shall they learn war any more. Other translations say, nor will they train for war anymore. Isn't that what we want? I mean, honestly, in our deepest, oh, in the deepest depths of who we are, we all want war to cease, whether we're talking about the war of Russia and Ukraine or the war that exists between you and I, the war that exists between neighbor and neighbor, between political parties and all the different factions that are presented to us every day that we have to choose because we can't choose a king, so we're having to choose a side. Down by the Riverside is an African-American spiritual song dating before the American Civil War, meaning before any kind of liberation was talked about. It is centered on the idea of, abandon, of, of abandon, abandoning pessimism and aggression and putting on new spiritual clothing at the side of a river before crossing. And it goes like this. going to lay down my burden down by the riverside, down by the riverside, down by the riverside. going to lay down my burden down by the riverside. I ain't going to study war no more. I ain't going to study war no more. Can you imagine being a slave, sitting there singing this song? The river could speak of baptism. The river could speak of the River Jordan. The river could speak of a lot of different things. But the idea that you would, even in the midst of being oppressed, even in the midst of suffering pain, you would sing a song like this. I long for the day when I would train for war no more where I would not in my mind train for the hate and the pessimism and the anger towards others, where I would not train in my heart and my mind the ways in which I would treat this person or do this to that person, the ways in my I would not gossip about this person, I would not in this moment train for the war I so righteously deserve. Isaiah 2 indicates that unlearning the arts of war will be among the first effects of peoples being drawn to God's holy mountain. When we learn God's ways, we unlearn the ways of war. There's a, um, I'm going to throw this up here, there's a, a sculpture, and I wish they would look at it more often. This is a sculpture called, Let Us Beat Swords into Plowshares, actually given by Russian artists, I'm not going to try his name, in 1959, obviously beckoning to this Isaiah 2 scripture. This sits, I don't know if you know this, curiously enough, sits right in the north lawn of the U.N., Every day when these countries come to gather, every time they gather together, they walk by this sculpture. Let us, let us beat our swords into plowshares. Let us turn our javelins, our spears into shovels. This sits, this, Isaiah 2, the beckoning of the kingdom to come, sits right at where all the countries gather together acting like they're not at war, acting like they are trying their best. And I'm, I know there are. There are men and women who are doing everything they can to shut things down. I absolutely believe that, 100%. This sits right there. And this all, in so many ways, takes us to the origin story of all creation, Genesis chapter 2. I have placed you here that you might work the ground and watch over it. The idea, the ideal for every bit of creation is that you and I would be those who would watch and work the ground. I love, I know we love the translation, take dominion. I know we do. But the problem is we don't take dominion over the land, we take dominion over people. We have flipped the idea of the purpose of the Scripture. The purpose of the Scripture is for us to rule and reign righteously with justice so that all people would flow to it and out of it would flow people of righteousness and justice. And as people who live in the in-between, who look back and see a Jesus who showed up, a king who was coronated on a cross... But also look ahead, knowing that a second coming, knowing that his return is going to be there. Paul cries out to us, as those people, in Romans chapter 13, he says this, You know what time it is, how it is now the moment for you to wake from sleep, for salvation is nearer to us now than when we became believers. The night is far gone, the day is near." Let us then lay aside the works of darkness and put on the armor of light. You know what time it is. Salvation. The kingdom is nearer to you now than ever before. Listen, salvation, this isn't the way we talk. Salvation is nearer to you now than when you first believed. But I thought I was saved when I believed. I know you were. But the fullness of your salvation is even closer than, wait, but I'm still being, Yeah, you're still being saved into the goodness and the creation that God had for you and I. We, the church, are bringing salvation into the earth. We are the body of Christ for the ascended king. We are people who in the earth today look at the light of Christ, the holy mountain that rises above every other mountain, and say, let this light shine in the earth. Now, some would say the latter days started the moment Jesus showed up on the scene. The moment Jesus died upon a cross and rose again, it started. The reign of the king began. That there was something new that had begun in the earth, and you and I must be people who walk in that light. That's what Paul's trying to get us to see. That's what Paul's trying to get us to understand. That's what Isaiah is trying to remind us. That in the days to come, this mountain will rise up. It will be there. That's what he says in Verse 5, isn't it? Verse 6, what does he say? He says, oh, house of Jacob. Oh, house of Jacob. Let us walk in the light. Walk in the light of what? The mountain who rises above all things. The one who would cause war to cease. The one who would end the violence towards one another by word or deed. He would rule justly. And when everyone knows the king is ruling justly, everyone can live freely. Isaiah says, let us walk in that light. After announcing the coming peace, God exhorts his people to walk in the light of that vision. Paul emphasizes this as well, Ephesians 5.8. And so, if we are light in the Lord, we should walk as children of light. If, if that's who we are, if we are people of God, if we are the light of the earth, then we should walk as those people. John says the same, 1 John 1.7. But if we walk in the light, as he is in the light, we're going to shine lights stars in the heavens. Oh, oh, oh be my salvation oh, I want us to be in the light yeah, 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 yeah. Oh, I want us to be in the light oh, I want to I want, in the alright my childhood childhood just phew, I feel heaven breaking in But if we walk in the light, as he is in the light, we have fellowship with one another. Wait, again, this beckons back to Isaiah. If we have fellowship in the mountain that is higher than every other mountain, then we have fellowship. The peace that Paul speaks of, the peace that Jesus speaks of, is not just a peace between me and the throne of God. It is the peace that resides now between me and every other person that breathes. It is the kind of forgiveness I give even if it's not reciprocated. It is the kind of forgiveness I give even if it's not validated. It's the kind of forgiveness I give even if it's not requested. Because I walk as one who is in the light. And I do not look at the darkness and go, Would you be more lightful? I do not look at creation and go, Would you not just be more created? I look at God and go, I stand in the light, and I bring to the earth all that it is meant to be. That is the commission of every follower of Jesus. Rowan Williams, in his book, Being Disciples, which I'm currently reading, it's brilliant. At the primary level, this will mean learning and deepening our attentiveness to the Bible, to the sacraments, and to the life of the body of Christ. Second, it would mean arising out of that. It means learning a new level of attentiveness to all persons. Places and things. Let me read that again. It means learning a new level of attentiveness to all persons, places, and things. Looking at everything with the eye of expectancy. Waiting for something of God to blossom within it. Being in Christ's company. Learning attentiveness and practicing this kind of still alertness. Looking and waiting for the light to break through. That is what it looks like to be people, to be children of the light, to be people who walk in the kingdom of God is to look every day in the days to come. Yeah, that includes Monday for the kingdom to break in, for the light to shine because he shines upon us. That we would be hopefully anticipatory that the light would break through, that heaven would be now. There's a battlefield story. Maybe some of you know this one. But on one particular battlefield on Christmas Eve in 1914, the proximity of the trenches, which is where many men died, was in the trenches, led to something very different. In the German trenches, one of the soldiers is a skilled tenor, who at one point tries to lift the spirits of his fellow soldiers by singing a hearty rendition of Silent Night. Just as he's about to begin the second stanza, however, the soldiers are startled to hear that the bagpipe player in a nearby Scottish trench has taken up the tune. The singing continues until finally the tenor and the bagpipe player emerge from their trenches and face each other. Those they had been shooting at. Those they had been trying to kill. Those they had never met and yet wished dead. When the bagpipe player starts to play, Adesta Fidelis, or O Come All Ye Faithful, the tenor takes up the song in French, and now the bewildered soldiers in also the French trench begin to sing along. Finally, all of the soldiers emerge for an impromptu Christmas Eve ceasefire, during which they share chocolate, champagne, brandy, and other treats, revealing for a time in their shared humanity, reveling for sorry, for a time in their shared humanity, and putting aside the horrors of the war that otherwise leads them to try to kill one another. All oh, that is Isaiah 2. That is the days to come. That is the light of God, is that even in a battlefield, heaven can break forth. And that is our prayer every single day, whether it's as as strong a picture as war or whether it is the way you and I treat one another, that heaven would break in. And where I have spent time gossiping and talking and killing and hurting others, I would stop and cease and live in the light of heaven and speak life and hope. And the, plow, the, the, the the swords I use, right, would be turned into shovels. And I would begin to cultivate the very thing that I have destroyed. I would begin to cultivate the thing that I have condemned. And I would begin to bring light into the earth. So here's my challenge to you my attempt to be poetic. In days to come, walk in the light of the days to come. In the days to come, walk in the light of the days to come. On Monday, walk in the light of the days to come. On Tuesday, walk in the light of the latter days. And let us announce the king who has come and await the kingdom that will follow as those who have already inherited the kingdom and live in light of our residence there now. That is our prayer. That is our advent. That is our waiting and our longing. That is our desire. Joy to the world. And it will come when our King comes again. And it has already commenced because our King came already. So let us, OC3 forward, walk in the light, bow your heads, but I thank you so much for today. I thank you that you are here, that you are close, that you are near, that you are able, you are willing, that you are good. God, and I pray as we come into this season of Advent, as we come into this time of waiting and longing for what will be, God, I pray that it will be and that we would become those who would walk in the light of Christ, one who commenced the kingdom the day he died and launched that kingdom Day he rose again and Lord let us never ever stop living in the light of Christ Jesus oh house of Jacob walk in the light oh C three Worth, walk in the light every place there is war in your soul let the light shine Every place there is war amongst neighbors, family, and friends. Let the light shine. And God, our prayer, every place that war is winning the day in our country, in our world. Let the light shine. I do not reside. I do not find my residence in the kingdoms of this world. But I have been rescued and I have been placed in the kingdom of your son. And you have made peace in my heart and in my mind. So I pray the light of peace in every mind and every heart where there is war or let your reign come to the top. Let your mountain exist above every other mountain and let us come to your righteous judgment and see righteousness in our lives and in our hearts. Let us not learn war anymore. Let us not train for war anymore. Let us be walk in the light of Christ. In Jesus' name.